Hello and welcome to Down the Blindside at the World Cup, brought to you in association with DID Electrical. I'm Peter O'Reilly of the Sunday Times. And I'm Brendan Fanning of the Sunday Independent. The World Cup may be over, but rugby's story rolls on. And what better way to begin a new chapter than by chatting to Leo Cullen, the man who led the province to three Heineken Cup trophies, gives Down the Blindside his first interview in his new role as Leinster coach. We're not just discarding the World Cup, of course. It's been, by common consent, the best of the eight tournaments so far. And naturally, there's considerable fallout. We'll assess the main winners and losers, as well as making a few other awards. It's a busy weekend coming up in the Pro 12 and also in the Ulster Bank League. We'll cover all bases as usual, plus we'll have our weekly competition courtesy of DID. But first, a special moment in Leinster's not-too-distant past. It's a total squad thing, as Brian O'Driscoll said. Leo Cullen is going to lift it with Shane Jennings. Not once, not twice, but three times a champion. That's what Leinster are. They are in treble heaven. And Leo Cullen is on the line now. Leo, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much. That audio there, Leo, is from just over three years ago. and You played another season after that. Does it all seem a lifetime ago now? Yeah, it does, yeah couple of weeks in coaching um yeah it certainly does um it's uh yes yeah, it was good good times really enjoyed my times playing um obviously coaching now is a completely different challenge but um i'm enjoying it so far okay you you had the guts of an entire match day squad uh at the rugby world cup to be fourth in the pro 12 table at the end of that tournament reflects pretty well on your depth doesn't it um yeah like it is encouraging um we had a fair amount of lead in prep time in terms of trying to get some bodies you know we, we would have predicted that we would have had a good chunk of the squad away at the World Cup and it's important that we have um, you know the systems in place like we want young Leinster players to come in to play for Leinster and go on and play for Ireland so it's very very important part of the selling points of playing for Leinster so we want to have a competitive environment, so it's it's been a good opportunity for us as senior coaches to work with a lot of young academy players, but also to sort of go back and towards the end of last season have a look at all the different other players that are playing in club teams as well. So we signed a few guys in short-term deals. Um, so, yeah, like it's... We are where we are, as they say. Um, um, we've still a lot of work to do, so to try and push ahead and um, get ourselves in a better position in the league as we head into um, Europe then next week. Leo, um, for a fellow to be out of rugby for two years and then come back and to find form like Eason Asaba has done is remarkable. Was it a no-brainer just to go one step further and give him the captaincy? Um, Yeah, I think he just gives us a good level of solidity during the course of the season. Um, The fact that he's going to be in situ uh, I think we've got a really good leadership group here um, with Johnny and Jamie as vice captains. You know, they, I think there's a lot on their shoulders with the with their involvement in the national team in probably very very similar capacity as well. Um, Jamie obviously being captain for their his last game at the World Cup, and um, Johnny plays such an important role as well. So um, we're really happy with the, the group of three that we have. The fact that East is going to be here for the year. I think it's um, it's you know it gives us sort of a good platform to work with throughout the course of the season. Um, you know there was definitely going to be a bit of wait and see how Issa 
was going to be um, back playing. I think he's acquitted himself really, really well, has full respect of all the players. So um, we're delighted with the group that we have and we're delighted that East has accepted the um, you know, the, the role of being captain of the club for the season. If, if, if Naseba is at one end of the scale in terms of experience, what about the younger fellas who saw a bit of game time during the World Cup? How have they benefited and, and who of them have been knocking on your door saying, I'd like to stay in the team now that the lads are back? <laughs> They're all knocking on my door. <laughs> um, well, who do you answer so the door to leave? I try, I try to keep. I try to keep it open. So, um, yeah, no, there's a pretty steady flow of traffic there at the moment, um, which again is something that we want. Um, it's you know it's a tough environment because there's a lot of really really good players, but we would hope that you know if you fight your way through into the team, you will be able to work ahead. Then you know at a national level above. So. Um, that's, I guess, the motivation for a lot of our players. Um, we noticed that uh, Johnny Sexton's back, obviously, and he sets high standards. I assume that you gave him a good bollocking for getting yellow carded in Treviso. Yeah, it was more, the, I suppose, there was a couple of events that got us into that situation in the first place. We make a poor choice and then we don't um, execute on a tackle and then suddenly we're scrambling in defence and a player then makes, you know, Johnny makes a decision uh, where he scrags that guy because he's scrambling back in defence. So, yeah, there's probably a few things in that the whole sequence that we can be definitely be better at. Okay, what, what's it like having him back? Um, Johnny's been great, yeah. Um, I think it's just the enthusiasm that he's shown. Even there was a couple of days in between the, I guess, the Irish World Cup prep where Johnny would, you'd see him knocking around the place um, out practicing his individual skills himself. So, I just think as a role model for some of those younger players coming through, he sets a really, really good example day to day. You have a fairly handy pool in Europe, Leo. Leo. I imagine you'll be looking to come through there without losing any games and taking bonus points from every match, will you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the way it is. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah no, it's going to be a very challenging pool, uh, it's fair to say. Um, what is it? It's nine winners, I think, or nine or ten winners between the four teams. So, um, yeah, it's... A lot of European pedigree there. Um, yeah, we can't get, look too far ahead for sure. You know, it's the old cliches. Um, you know, Wasps up, for, up first. You know, they, they've recruited well again during the off season. Um, just watched their game against Leicester last night. So um, they weren't a million miles away in that game. Obviously, the Jimmy Goppert that has signed as well, who knows us very, very well. Um, which you know always poses a challenge because he's familiar with with what we're trying to do here. So there's always that is, has the potential to cause problems for us. Um, you know we we came across them in the pools last year as well. Um, you know we struggled at home for large parts. We we fought our way back into the game in the second half and ended up getting the result, but we made very tough work of it, particularly in the first half. We put ourselves under a lot of pressure. Um, and again, they have a lot of quality uh, against them away from home in the Rico Arena later in the year. We started really well in the first half, but then they battled our way back into the game. We could have gone either way. Obviously, the game was a draw 20 all. But um, yeah, it's 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 a tough pool. Um, was first up. We, we don't need to look too far ahead in that game. Um, but the following week away from home, you, you can see the investment that they're making in their team at the moment. Um, they've signed a lot of the top English talent, uh, particularly that sort of under-25 bracket. Um, so they're definitely putting together some serious plans over there, and I'm sure they'll be looking for success themselves. And 
post that then too long. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a tough challenge, but really, really exciting. Hopefully, um, we get the fans behind us and everyone's going to work very, very hard here to make sure that we give ourselves best chance on all those individual days. Okay, it's it's that's going to be a, a battle for your real cup rugby stuff. But from week to week, Leo, obviously your your primary ob- obligation is is to win. Do you feel a duty to entertain also? Um, yeah, like I think you see it at the World Cup. The teams that go out with the intent to play are are generally getting pretty positive results. So um, it would always be our intention to try and play. You know, there's the playing in Northern Hemisphere I've said it over and over again like you have to be able to cater your game depending on what is what conditions are outside and stand outside here at the moment like it's perfect still day um, like we trained last week and it was far from perfect conditions of training but by the time we actually played against Treviso the weekend it was a perfect day so um, sometimes you get the complete flip side of that you train in perfect weather and then you turn up at the weekend it's um, it's something completely different so we have to be able to be adaptable um, but yeah it is our intention like Leinster I think traditionally um, would like to play a reasonably expansive game and uh, you know I would be very strong to those values myself Okay, Will you be at close close to full strength for Friday against the Scarlets at the ODS? Um, we're probably going to make a few changes Um just based a lot around the five-day turnaround and then trying to integrate, reintegrate a few guys back into the system. Um, so, yeah, there will be some changes. Um, I haven't quite decided exactly how many, but, um, yeah, I think it's important we just try and get a look at a few different combinations. Uh, Scarlet will be going hard out to win the game because they're setting the pace six from six at the moment in the league. So um, we still have a good bit of work to do to catch up with them. Uh, we, had, we had a tough outing against them um, a few weeks ago over in Parking Scarlets where we found ourselves 25 nil down after 60 minutes so I thought some of the guys battled back well but when the team is 25 nil up sometimes you have to question what they're where they're at I suppose from a motivational point of view that they just mentally switched off a little bit so um, it was a, it was a really good learning experience for a lot of our younger players and we 13 academy development players in the match day 23 that day so um it was a tough learning experience, but you know it's so warm or no illusions. It'll be it'll be a tough old slog against Scarlets um, on Friday night. It sounds like you've given us a bit of the team talk there already, Leo. Thanks for that, and it'll be a full house. It's an attractive fixture, so I'd say uh, the punters will be out in force. I hope it goes well, and uh, thanks for joining us. Take care now. Okay, cheers, guys. Thanks. Competition time. Congratulations to last week's winner, Kathy Neal, for the chance to win a hundred euro voucher for any of DID's 22 stores around the country. Just answer the following question. Following his match-winning exploits in the Rugby World Cup final, Dan Carter is now off to the top 14, but to which club? Is it A, Bayonne, B, Toulon, or C, Racing Metro? Answers, as usual, to the competition tab at downtheblindside.com. By the way, we'll also throw in a couple of tickets for either of Friday's Pro 12 games in Dublin or Galway. So we'll be announcing a winner early. Get on the case, in other words. Right, to our Rugby World Cup awards. Uh, Unfortunately, Dan Carter was unavailable to join us here in our studio. We're going to go ahead without him. And we're going to start with the winners and losers. Winners, obviously, New Zealand we can talk about them in more detail in a while, but uh, who else were, were winners? Japan, even mm-hmm. though they've lost their coach. And he said some kind of unkind things about 
Japanese rugby. We're talking about Eddie Jones saying that they just yeah. weren't, they didn't have the ambition. Um, I think he made those comments just after they managed to beat South Africa. But in any case, yeah, they were, that was the biggest history, biggest result, biggest upset in the history of Test Rugby, never mind. It was. World Cups. It was also reassuring for all the little people out there that you can still um, you can still win rugby matches with speed, uh, surprise, with good coaching, uh, with accuracy. Um, the way they played the game was was kind of reassuring when so many people are bumping into each other. They do a bit of bumping themselves, but they're they're incredibly programmed and accurate and pretty fit, and that. And then they get a, they buy a few lads, well, buy a few lads in. They bring a few lads in with a bit of height to give them half a chance at the line. It, but you know, no matter what way you look at it, you, you, I don't know. Have you any idea what the odds are? hundred to one. They were hundred to one against the box, so not too many people put money on that one. Okay. Well, the, the good news for the for the tournament as well is that the, it's going there in twenty nineteen, and the performance of the blossoms will should uh, should encourage this a uh, huge popularity. Uh, Argentina, we've we've mentioned them before. Um, another coach who did particularly well. Yeah, brilliantly. Um, most punters wouldn't have had a rashes who have the Argentina team were before the tournament. And when you consider that they were coming from, I mean, they had their six or seven lads from Europe, obviously. But most of the other lads are playing rugby in Argentina and it's far from high profile. So to have done the job that he did not just in the style of rugby they were playing, but just the, the condition in which they arrived and to get through most of the tournament with 30 men because that Egypt Galarza got sent home for, mm. for eye gouging. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember the, coming into the... We played them on a Sunday, obviously, so we had to do uh, player profiles in the, in the paper. And I remember speaking to an Argentine journalist, asking him about a couple of players because we weren't familiar with them. One yeah. of them was Pablo Matero. Yeah. And he said, oh, he's a beast. He's an absolute... I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all beasts. <laughs> and then he went out and he was a beast. And uh, he actually, I see his name got into a few teams of the tournament as well. Well, just, just on, before we go to the, leave the Argies for a moment, seemingly O'Connell after the test match, one of the tests last year in Argentina, and he played against Levanini. And it was yeah. one of those kind of Butch Casti and Sundance kid moments where he goes... Jesus, who was that guy when he comes in off the field? Like it, it had been a, a sobering experience for him. Yes, twenty-two-year-old uh, and Guido Petty wasn't wasn't too bad either. No. Um, the losers, uh, England. <laughs> One of the kind of images from from my World Cup was going into the media centre at Twickenham <laughs> in the latter stages, and the look of resignation on the local hacks' faces, knowing that here they were reporting on. Biggest show in town, best tournament ever, and yet the hosts weren't taking part. There was not just from them, but on the way, on the battle to get home that night, to get back into London, um, you were coming across fans who were just absolutely crestfallen. And we've had our own fair share of disappointments at World Cup, so I suppose I could empathise. But when it's your own show and you're going out before the knockouts, I feared for the tournament. It turned out well, you know, I mean, the quality of rugby was great and the weather was great. But I definitely think we lost something by not having England going yeah. going down the home straight. It was it was a shame. Um, France didn't add much to the tournament. There, another main loser. Uh, the big question here is what effect uh, it will have on the game in France. There's talk that um, there may be big change at the top, uh, the federation that that Bernard Laporte is going to come in and 
trying to become the new chairman and maybe shake things up and reduce the importance of uh, the top 14. But the top 14 is, is this huge commercial machine. Absolutely. And it's, run, you know, the, the, the fellows who provide the cash are the, the bourgeois of the world. And mm-hmm. most of the top 14 clubs have one of those guys and they, they don't give a toss about the FF or, or Blazers. France is not their issue. The clubs are their issue. They're paying and they want to bring in as many foreigners and do whatever they want. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting battle. Um, but we've always said about France, if they ever got to their act together, you know, that they'd be running everybody down. But it's, but it's crisis point now, though. And if you if you talk to, say, someone like Bernard Jackman, who's working in, in the club game down in Grenoble, he says people outside of those um, those kind of core of supporters who will travel to watch France play, most people are, who are interested in rugby are interested in their club far more than they're interested in the national team. Yes. So that's a big issue for them. Um, do we include Ireland in the list of losers? Yes. Our pre-match tournament explicit target was to get to the semis, and we didn't get to the semis. Yeah. So, I mean, you can dress it up any way you want, but that's failure. Yeah, I mean, it's coloured by, by misfortune, but there's a sense that we were rumbled. Uh, in terms of the kicking game, which was so successful during the Six Nations. What would have been interesting, Pete, is if we had a handful of those big-name players, and let's say Tommy Bow didn't get banjacks after whatever it was, 15, 16 minutes, we, we might well have got away with that one. And would everybody now be navel-gazing and saying, oh, we need to change our style of play, or would we have been emptied in the semis? Yeah, well, I'm not so sure we... Not so sure we definitely would have beaten Argentina either no. with the big guns. Well, no, nor am I. But I think we, if we were good enough to get it back to a three-point game, having been, having looked like we were beaten out the gate, I think we might have. But anyway, that's that's, <laughs> that's for another day. Okay, the best stadium, best stadium experience. Wembley. Wembley. Yeah. Okay. Not for the. I mean, it was a handy enough game. And it was a bit of a party atmosphere. And I'd rather test match atmospheres to party atmospheres. But like 90,000 people all feeling, well, I can't speak for all of them, but there was definitely a feeling that everybody was reasonably close to the pitch. Mm. Um, now, I know it went gazillions over budget and years over schedule, but I think it's a, it's a triumph of a stadium. Yeah, walking up towards the stadium on that Sunday and seeing... Uh, match sold out signs uh, was incredible and it was it was part of a pool stage generally which was enjoyable it had plenty of uh, surprise huge crowds and the contribution of the Irish supporters to that stage of the tournament was massive and at that time we were saying this this should be good for our own bid for 2023 definitely uh, um, and, and transport would be good if you if you come here in 2023 you're not going to have, have the issues one pain in the butt of it this tournament was he meant to travel for a lot of people around England because it's such a big country, whereas with us, it'll be handy. The only issue for us, I think, would be bed nights. I, would, I thought, you know, we had enough to, to cater. And then somebody pointed out to me recently, at that time of year, most hotels were are over 90% full. What the hell are we going to do when thousands of people coming for the No, because it's a big tourism yeah. time anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we can throw up a few more hotels. Um, for me, it was the... The best stadium ex- experience was the Millennium, the day of the France game. Uh, it's just, I suppose, discoloured slightly by the memory of what happened the following week. Mm. Same situation, same number of people, different effect, uh, different result. To uh, the rugby itself, the best defensive effort in the tournament, Brian, what's your choice for that? The Wallabies, the, the 13 men, um, the last stand against Wales, 
and being being able to think so clearly under such pressure. That was Adam Ashley Cooper. I remember made come in and made jammed in and made one spot tackle, and he got it absolutely spot on. And you could you could almost see the bubble. <laughs> book coming out of his head saying I know exactly what I'm doing here and this is going to work and of course it did work whereas in, in contrast to that think of uh, Alex Cuthbert getting, yep. getting drawn in yep. uh, by the by the box down the short side best offensive effort well it was a privilege to, to be at the Millennium on the Saturday night before we played Argentina and to see the All Blacks demolishing France uh, went back and had a look at some of the tries again afterwards everybody talks about Julian Savea ploughing through tackles and, and you know the 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 Jonah Lama impersonation. Uh, I preferred things like the offload by Dan Carter to Savea just after he's absolutely yeah. minced. Yeah. Um, who was it? Pape. Pape with a, with a, with a fend. And also yeah. the uh, replacement loose head, I think Moody uh, sending TJ Perinara with another left-handed offload. Um, great skills. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, they practice them over and over. A lesson there for everybody, I reckon. Um uh, the best try specifically? Um, Jesus, it was hard. Um, I guess Hesketh was was just. Uh, it wasn't that it was it was a brilliantly structured try or that he took it brilliantly. It was just the import of it. And where were you as a matter of interest when you? I was sitting in the media room in in Cardiff at, at the Millennium, and by strange coincidence, there was a there were a couple of Japanese people sitting directly across. Right. Very quickly. Uh, Taking photographs of the telly? <laughs> well, they were uh, very excited, and then soon they became very popular. Everybody wanted to be their friend. Uh, where were you? I was in the bar in the airport in Cardiff waiting for the flight home. I was helping one of the snappers, and the whole bar was up on its feet and cheering. It was great. I think everybody will remember where they were for that. Um, best player of the tournament? Uh, very tight between Pocock and Carter. I would have gone for Carter because of the way he delivered in the final. Mm-hmm. I thought his drop goal was absolutely sublime. Just thinking of it and executing it all in a fraction of a second. And he's not, you know, drop goal really is not his no, not, not his, his bag. But anyway, he the, does it pretty well. I go for Carter as well. What I thought was fascinating was that uh, the last try in the final, he converted with his right foot. And he, he revealed afterwards it was something that he wanted to get done on a rugby pitch before, you know, wearing an all-black shirt. But what does that tell you about his confidence? That he, yeah. pra- he practiced this, apparently, in the week of the game because he thought he, he was going to do it. So the fact that you're practicing right-footed conversions in the week of a World Cup final, what does that say about your <laughs> confidence levels? Uh, finally, though, the smuggest comment. Uh, it's actually from a, a colleague of mine, I suppose, technically speaking, Sean Fitzpatrick. He says, uh, he said in the paper on Sunday, the world, particularly those residing in the Northern Hemisphere, will now be wondering how they can close the gap. I wouldn't be getting your hopes up. He also says that while Steve Hansen is contracted until 2017, and that includes the Lions tour, his payoff line is, good luck with that one. Yeah, indeed. Competition time. Congratulations to last week's winner, Cathy Neal, for the chance to win a €100 voucher for any of DID's 22 stores around the country. Just answer the following question. Following his match-winning exploits in the World Cup final, Dan Carter is off to the top 14, but to which club? Is it A, Bayonne, B, Toulon, or C, Racing Metro? Answers as usual to the competition tab at downtheblindside.com. By the way, we'll also throw in... 
a couple of tickets for either of Friday's Pro 12 games in Dublin or Galway. So we'll be announcing a winner early. So get on the case with your answers. Now, the Ulster Bank League, Clontarf go top after making heavy weather of beating Terry Newer in Lakelands. Same story the next day in terms of heavy weather. Lansdowne had a huge amount of ball and territory um, and eventually put away an injury hit Gary Owen. That was on the main pitch. It was on the main pitch, yeah. yeah. Um, It's kind of eerie watching Club Rugby (laughs) being part of a 245-man crowd watching Club Rugby in Aviva. But anyway, there you go. Okay, player of the week. Um, we're going to go for Garrowed Lines of Young Munsters um, given that they beat uh, Obel Vadir in what sounds like a pretty exciting game um, That was the result of the day I think It was, yeah um, Lines is the uh, Young Munsters fly half he's back in harness and he played a key, a key role in that win uh, they're on their third coach of the, the season actually after Ozzy Anthony Matheson had to head home for personal reasons, and uh, ne- the, the director of rugby then stepped in. Okay, short term, and now we see that they have got um, David Corkery in for the rest of the season, and this uh, was his first game in charge, which is a great start. He's also up against interesting opponents, I think. Yeah, Cons next week. Yeah, we wish him all the best. Um, what else? Well, in Dublin, the game of the day is UCD at home to Lansdowne, isn't it? Yep. Um, lower down the pecking order. I noticed uh, Dolphin's Twitter feed says that the 5th of December will be their Christmas party. And for some reason, the theme of which will be revealed after the game against Trinity on Saturday. I'm sure Hugh Farley will be able to. I'm sure uh, he may be able to throw some light on it. But if I was Trinity, I'd be worried about what's going to happen in that game. 1A uh, for the weekend. Incidentally, the, the fixtures are Ballon Hinch versus Terenur, Clontarf at home to Galwegians, O'Belvedere at home to Gary Owen, UCD v Lansdowne, as we mentioned, and Young Munsters v Con. Okay, AOB, our congratulations to Ireland's Sophie Spence, who was nominated in the category of World Player of the Year at the World Rugby Awards in London on Sunday night. Um, we're delighted to hear that. Dan Carter, obviously, was the deserved Men's Player of the Year. Coach of the Year went to Michael Check. I don't think the Kiwis were that happy about that. They thought uh, Steve Hansen. Uh, yeah, Duncan Johnson, our colleague uh, in NZ, went into bat for um, Hansen. I think they won pretty much everything else, so he had the hump that Hansen didn't pick up that award as well. Um, he said, and I quote, Cheka got a look, sorry, Cheka obviously was the, the, man, the man who won it. Cheka got a lucky break at Twickenham that day, and he just got another this time with World Rugby's approval. But it's the shabby treatment of Hansen that is particularly grating. Is he right? Uh, I would have gone for the RG, Daniel Hurcade, who I thought got the Pumas four years ahead of schedule into uh, into the last four, and that given the resources he has compared to what Hansen has, I thought that was a... That probably would have been a, been a better, uh, terrific better choice. I think this, there, there is a bit of horse trading and politicking that goes on. Mm. Um, the All Blacks had won everything else. Hansen had won this, this award for the last three years. So somebody said, let's, let's mix, mix it up. And it gave Duncan a, a column yeah. <laughs> opportunity. Um, well spotted, Dunk. <laughs> um, eventually, sorry, inevitably after World Cup, you have plenty of transfer speculation. Uh, and the Simon Zebo to Toulouse is, is the, the story of the week. 
um, in certainly down in Munster um, because they can obviously put a spin on it that uh, he's moving because he was dissatisfied with his, his workload at the World Cup. What do yeah. you reckon? I think he'd love it down there and I think they'd love him. And he has dad he can speak, he a, can bit speak a bit of the language uh, that said there is an opening for him at full back in Munster now that poor Felix Jones has had to retire after that neck injury our best wishes and our commiserations to Felix on that um, there's some other transfer talk as well pickables to Saints yeah France's best player apparently wants to leave the top 14 he wants to go to to Northampton for lifestyle reasons obviously <laughs> <laughs> we've been we've been in Northampton but we need to be careful it is a rugby town. Yes, it is a rugby town. It's just not. Got it's funny now that everybody's post World Cup saying, "Oh, you need to be, we need smaller men, or we need more athletic fellas attacking spaces and less brute force." And then you think Pickaboles and Northampton Saints, and you think more of the same. Mm. Anyway, to the Pro Twelve, uh, as we've mentioned earlier in the show, the game of the weekend is Leinster v Scarlets at the ORDS on Friday evening. Uh, but Connacht, their story as well, uh, they're second in the table after six rounds and they're at home to Treviso, who are 12th. So they've got an opportunity uh, to cement that that uh, position at, near the top of the table. Yeah. Um, haven't had a chance to have a look at them yet, Brian, but their stats are pretty impressive. They have used only 23 players across their six wins, which is some going. Now, they've managed to rotate, obviously, a wee bit, but the key areas of the field, their front row, same front row in, in four out of the six games. McCartney is virtually ever-present. Uh, Dennis Buckley, Rodney Ayew is in there. Um, I think Tiernan O'Halloran has... He's had a great start to the season. He yeah. has, and I think he's benefited big time by Mills Mulyaina being off the property. So he's the undisputed full-back. He's getting lots of game time. And uh, my understanding is that he's developed into a team leader and he's much more vocal than he used to be. Um and they're playing a game to suit him by the sounds of it. They've got three try bonuses already in six games. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're good at halfback. Marmion and Carty are, are doing a good job. And Marmion's under a wee bit of pressure from John Cooney, which is doing him no harm. Um, so, yeah, well done, to, well done to all in the West. OK, well, Munster are away to Edinburgh on Saturday. I watched, uh, watched Munster, brilliant game. Yeah. Again, still some very entertaining stuff. Uh, asked Anthony Foley afterwards if the same question we asked Leo Cullen does he feel the need to entertain to try and get the crowds back in uh, of course he just wants to win but he did admit that uh, he's trying to expand Munster's attacking possibilities uh, Ulster played their part in that game they're away to the Dragons on Sunday not exactly a glamour fixture but um, they uh, as well have got a it's the first game under Les Kiss so yeah. uh, that's that's uh, noteworthy as well best of luck to him with that ok well I'm going to go to the ODS on Friday how about you yes Definitely the game of the weekend. Uh, Scarlets, as Leo mentioned earlier, six out of six. Uh, and to have another team in the mix is good for the Pro 12, given that it's, it tends to be five teams going for four spots at the end. Do you think they're going to be there at the end of the season? Well, one of my Welsh buddies tells me not. and that they're, Why is that? Well, they fear that now that everyone's back on deck, that they're going to suffer a bit on the physical stakes. But... Uh, that remains to be seen certainly their defence and we mentioned it here before um, their defence is absolutely first class so we'll see how it goes against Leinster on okay. Friday and we will talk about it uh, again next week um, 
on Down the Blind Side, brought to you in association with DID Electrical. Thanks also uh, to the Pro 12 and Tom McCormack for organising tickets for this weekend. I'm Peter O'Reilly of the Sunday Times. And I'm Brendan Fanning of the Sunday Independent. And we look forward to your company again soon. Down the Blind Side.